Welcome to Mental Conversations. Uh, my name's Chris Sutton, and today I'm excited to be joined in studio by uh, Daxa Patel. Um, Daxa, thank you for coming into the studio. It's lovely to see you. Um, today we're going to talk about bereavement. Um, so as we've just been saying just before we've um, clicked start, um, it's, it's a, obviously a sensitive subject, it's a difficult subject for people to talk about and for people to hear, but um, can you tell us a bit about your story? Sure. Um, thank you very much, Chris, for inviting me. Um, it's, as you can imagine, deeply personal. Um, five years ago, I lost my father, and I went from somebody who would not appreciate what it was like to feel down and low and depressed, and, um, yeah, grieving... The loss of my father took me to a place where I'd never been, and it's been quite an enlightening journey. Yeah. So, so this was back in um, was it two thousand and thirteen? Yes, it? it was December two thousand and thirteen. Is when my father passed away. And you and you lived? Did you? Was it you lived with you? Yes, actually, um, um, I left my job as a solicitor to spend the last year with him because I knew. Um, we didn't have much time together and uh, yeah so we spent the whole year together and uh, yeah he passed away at home with me by his side. So tell, tell me about your relationship with him. We were very close. Um, he was more like a, a, my best friend, my teacher, my father, mother, everything. Uh, the best way to describe my father's uh, connection with me is that he really inspired me to raise my game on all levels. And um, even after his death, finding my way out of the maze of grief, I found it incredibly helpful, feeling that he's close to me and he's spurring me on to keep living. Yeah, I, I mean, I've read, I've read some of the, the blog that you've written um it's amazing it's 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 really cool i I mean um you've you've called it grieving my papa um and you know i recommend anyone to google that and and read that because there's some it's really touching and actually when i just said to you then about um tell me about um your relationship and that your your face lit up a little bit and you're clearly like looking back to um, to that feeling of the, you know, of the relationship. So, so he sounds like quite an inspirational guy, and someone who's like you say you, you refer to him as your teacher. So, tell me, can you tell me a bit about him? I'm really interested to know a little bit about him. Well, um, he left school at the age of fourteen, came to England as an economic migrant in the early fifties, uh, made this country his home and he was deeply proud and grateful for the opportunities he had here. He was quite um, ahead of his times, Uh, he could see the future and he also uh, founded the first Hindu temple in the whole of UK in uh, in Leeds in the 1960s. Really? And he wasn't a religious man but he very much believed that as a community we need to integrate and and, uh, work together. And um, so, yes, but when it came to my education, uh, his greatest 
and dearest wish was that one of his children should go to the university and I was able to fulfill that but he believed in not just living a good life for yourself but also giving back mm-hmm. and yeah um he he was a single parent who raised his children and in those days you didn't have uh, much support you did everything yourself so he was uh, running his own business raising his family doing his bit for the community and and uh, and his civic duty and yeah an amazing guy i would say yeah it sounds it so the first Hindu temple in the UK? Yes. That's amazing. And that was in our city of Leeds. Yeah, absolutely amazing. I'm very proud of that fact. Yeah, yeah, so you should be. Um, so in terms of like, and especially like being brought up by a single, like or bringing your children up as a single parent, your bond to him was clearly very, very strong. I mean, it comes through in everything you say and in, in all the words I've, I've read that you've written. Um, so... So when actually, so when he actually passed away, that that sense of of grief and of loss must have been, and you know, and obviously still continues to be quite overwhelming for you. Well, what compounded to it was the fact that, and I didn't pick up on it until a, a long while afterwards. Was I was also a bereaved carer. Um, you never think of yourself as somebody's primary carer. You just look after somebody because you love them yeah and so I went from being uh somebody who was totally involved in his care and my father was mentally all there but physically he needed 24-7 support so I went from being his full-time daughter his carer um I was also his attorney because uh, I had, I was the lasting. I was a power of attorney, if you like. But oh, right, yeah, so after yeah. he passed away, I found myself not working, not playing the role of a daughter, not playing the role of a carer, and you almost found yourself in a position where you didn't know who you were. Yeah. And it, my father was very much like my father, mother, all rolled into one. So I suddenly realised here I am, an orphan. Um, it felt like an earthquake had happened and I was sat on the ground exposed to the elements with absolutely no support whatsoever. And it's quite a scary place to be. It's very, I mean, completely isolated. And like, like I think they're, like you say, without the support, it's, it becomes... I don't know, it, it's difficult. I'm trying to picture or put myself in that position and I've, you know, both of my parents are still alive so I find it quite hard to to actually imagine that. But one of the things you said there around your, your identity, it's almost your identity has been stripped away in terms of those roles that you were playing. Mm. So you've got this kind of, even where you were um, being very busy... And being and and doing lots of things, all of a sudden those things were um, weren't there either. Um, there's something I wanted to stress to, to people. So I've I've spoken to a couple of people about bereavement, not on the podcast actually, but um, just because in through the podcast and through some of the things I do at work, I kind of um, 
not invite people to speak to me, but I, I speak to a lot of different people about different aspects of mental health and psychology and mm -hmm. just um, and a lot of people that come for support to like a, a peer to peer support group that I, I'm part of um, for, for various different reasons. And one of them in particular is, uh, you know, is, has really struggled with bereavement. Um, so there are lots of people out there that will benefit from hearing individual stories um, an individual, you know, things that have happened, journeys, things that have happened to people. But one of the things that's really, I think, is quite powerful um, for people to hear about you is what you what you do in your, um, firstly, for you as a person in your professional life. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Because I think the, I think it's quite indicative that bereavement can, um, the struggles of bereavement hit everybody. So, What's your professional background? Well, you're absolutely right. It's a universal experience that we're all going to come across at some point in our life. And um, what I do in my professional uh, life is that I'm actually a, a lawyer, a solicitor. And um, ironically, at the time when I decided to leave my profession, I was a partner in a law firm and I was representing elderly clients. Right. And I had my own clients who were sons and daughters of their parents who would say to me, oh, I wish I'd spent more time with my mum and dad. And that was almost like a, um, a wake-up call for me to think, well, work is not everything. I need to sort of take a step back and give my time to my father. Yeah. I mean, because uh, I think it's just a... I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's my misconception, but there's, with any kind of... Um, I wouldn't like bereavement isn't a mental illness kind of thing. It's not a mental health problem, but there are aspects of kind of feelings, thoughts, and behaviours. So all around that kind of um, psychology of things that that are kind of that do sit across mental health things, and there, you know there's there's certainly a link there. So I just think it's quite interesting to. Um, for people to realise, or potentially helpful for people to realise, like you said, that it's non-discriminatory. It's mm -hmm. literally, the you know, when you have that closer bond to someone, um, you can be the strongest person in the world externally, and you can be successful in your career and with ambitions and financially and whatever else. But that you know that it, that you can still be be struck by these things. Um, one of the things you mentioned, particularly with uh, what you said about your dad. Um, and the Hindu temple has has faith played any role in kind of um, helping you since he passed away? Um, to some extent, yes. Um, because my father was so well known in in our community, I kind of shied away from even going to the temple. Right. And the support that I had, and I'm deeply grateful for that was from St Gemma's Hospice. Um, if you'd asked me about six years ago, would I ever consider receiving any form of counselling, I would have said to you, absolutely not. I was above all that. Um, but I found myself in a place where I just needed the extra support. And I was so grateful when the palliative nurse at St Gemma's, who'd come to see my, who came to see my father two days before he passed, and realised after he passed away that I might need some support. Mm -hmm. So she put me in touch with a bereavement counsellor at St Gemma's Hospice. And in terms of faith, what I found myself doing was, whenever I felt that I needed some 
a, a place where I could just sit and be close to the to God or to a to a to the the source that kind of gives us the impetus to keep going, I would sit in the chapel at St Gemma's Hospice for a good whole hour and basically sit there and cry (laughs) and find myself some kind of solace to keep going. But that gave you a space to do that. You, You absolutely need that space because you find yourself in a position where you don't feel like engaging in small talk because your whole world has come to a halt whilst Mm. everybody else's world is is carrying on so even going to the uh, supermarket and listening to um, Christmas carols or or, uh, any form of music or even people talking it it can be a nuisance to begin with because you are sensitive to sound Uh, you also want to spend more time alone but if you keep yourself completely isolated you almost feel like you're going mad yeah. So it's a fine balance there. So you need those quiet spaces to kind of reflect, gather yourself, and then just find yourself being able to take the next step to carry on living. So we we like using that time um, to reflect on 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 what has happened. But also, were you using that time to to make a, a plan, essentially, for, for how you were going to... Even, I mean, uh, I mean, literally to the degree of, what am I going to do this afternoon, you know? What it was like, to begin with, that you almost felt like um, you'd lost the plot. Right. Um, it, it was... Your whole world had crumbled, and you had no idea how to kind of crawl back. So you go from that feeling to then gradually thinking, okay, I'm in survival mode. Mm-hmm. So if I can just get up, get ready and get dressed and get out of the house, that's a huge achievement. Um, to begin with, all I would put, because I, I like to write things down, so in my diary I would just have a couple of entries, walk and go and sit in the chapel. If I'd achieved those two things in that day, that was a good thing. Yeah, yeah. You were living hour by hour, and from that it went from maybe one day to another day. And for me, what really helped me was writing. I would write to my father as if I was having a conversation with him. Yeah. So my my journals, I've written journals uh but i've got about 30 odd journals in the last five years and i've written daily every day because that's almost like i'm creating a space where i'm having a conversation with him yeah and it would be the kind of conversation that he and i would have had when we'd even talk about brexit Mm -hmm. um anything and everything so because how was my day or if i was struggling about something i would have a conversation because in the early days it was almost like is he my father or was he my father? You go from that to thinking, yes, he still is my father. Yeah, no, actually, I noticed that on your blog that you write in the present tense. I yeah. really like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I noticed that. Uh, you also said one of the things I read in your blog was that sometimes you, um, did you say you phone you phone him or you text him um, that, that you'd written? So that, and I, I really like, I really like that. And like, you know, um, 
I suppose, like, uh, I know you've heard me say this before, but, you know, my mission with this podcast is for people to pick up, oh, maybe I could try that, mm-hmm. and maybe that might help me. And when I've when I've read some of the stuff and when we've had the conversation before, you know, that's, that's what I, I've thought, oh, that's a great idea. I really like that because it... I can imagine that it gives you, um, I don't know, the re- the re- the release, if you like, of, um, the, I don't know, like an itch that you need to scratch kind of thing. You, you're having a conversation. So tell me, with the journals, do you reflect back on them? Do you ever read, do you ever go back and look? I do, I do. And um, it's almost like when I remember I, I came to the first anniversary, it was important for me to uh, go back to the early days, um, because I'm pretty sure for the first five months, I almost think that I wasn't going to make the whole year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd lost the will to live, if you like. And in our ordinary existence, people kind of think if, if you go beyond the five, six months period, there's something wrong with you. Um, I remember my pre my firm where I was a partner that they kind of wanted to engage with me to say well why don't you come back and, and start work but I knew that mentally I wasn't in a p- position to mm. do that so I kind of gave myself permission to grieve if you like and that happened around month five once I gave myself permission to grieve it was almost like it's fine if you're feeling rotten it's absolutely fine if you want to cry that's fine too if you want to go and walk and not talk to anybody that's fine so you have to give yourself that space yeah so, yeah, absolutely critical. Yeah, I, I, I mean, this is, um, there are similarities. Um, I talk, or I, I still think about this quite a lot. Um, I went through an episode of, a particularly difficult episode of depression. And um, one of the things that helped me through it was I, I was going to see a life coach. Yeah. And one of the things that we we did was we wrote a plan at the beginning. You know, it was like in, I think I had 15 sessions. And in like the second session, we, we wrote, what are we going to try and achieve yeah. by the, or what am I going to try and achieve yeah. by the end of it? And it's kind of where the, that question about reflection comes from. Mm-hmm. That's why it always comes up in my mind, because it was such a powerful thing to me that actually when we got to the end of the 15 sessions and I looked back, I didn't realise how far I'd come, mm. you know, and actually that was, it was quite shocking to me that I've still thought, well, I, f- I feel all right, you know, I don't, I didn't want to hurt the lady's feelings, so of course I was yeah. saying, yeah, I feel much better, but <laughs> I, I was still going home and being like, I feel just so, you know, empty and or whatever the other yeah. emotions I was going through were, but actually that reflecting back of what I'd written and mm. looking in my own handwriting and going... Oh wow! Actually, mm. <laughs> you know, I have made some progress here. Yeah. So, so when I hear anyone say they've written stuff down, I always think, "Do you read it? Do you mm. read it?" Because mm. I think there's a lot of power in that. Um, so that's yeah. Thanks for sharing. That's think that that's quite a good thing that people might think to do, and also that permission, giving yeah. yourself permission, mm. because when you're in a, a like a muddied state, I suppose in your mind, it's very difficult to think Mm. clearly and yeah you're fighting your inner demons and you're also fighting the world outside you Mm. because there is a perception that if you've lost a loved one you ought to be able to get back to normal 
Now, what is the definition of normal? Yeah. You are essentially creating a new normal, and it takes time, and it has to be dictated by your sense of timing, because your grief is as unique as your own DNA. And um, you almost feel like you're creating a new world, and it has to be done according to your own yeah. wish. And at, if you say, fine, you know, I'm going to take it one day at a time, go at my pace, things can become more manageable. Yeah, okay. And then that, that brings me on to, in my thought process, one of the things I'd thought about in preparing for this conversation was around, there's clearly, clearly a lot of support that you would benefit from, from people around you. Mm. But it's a very difficult thing, isn't it? Because you don't want people, you know, around you all the time. Yeah. It, and like you say, it is, is you know, your grieving process is as unique as your own DNA. That's a really good way of putting it. Like, so actually you need people that understand mm. when to be yeah. there physically and when to get out of there and leave yeah, you yeah. by yourself. And so actually you need to, uh, you know, have some really close relationships with people that you, that are going to, um, like you said, it's quite a big thing that if, if there's an expectation, come on, it's been a few months now. Mm. If people start treating you with that attitude, mm. you're probably not going to react that well to that. No, you're absolutely <laughs> right. I remember when people used to say to me, how are you? I almost thought, well, that's a leading question. Do you really want me to tell you the truth? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you sometimes find yourself in a position where you think, do you really want to know? Because I could give you chapter and verse, but yeah. actually I'm not sure that you really have the time to know how I'm <laughs> feeling. So, so yeah, I mean, you asked earlier, um, do, you, do you create a, you know, a plan of action, for example? You don't really have a blueprint when no. you find yourself in this position. No. Because I remember my father and I had conversations um, where he would say to me, how are you going to deal with my death once I've gone? And I would be very, very... Uh, uh, confident and say to my father, oh, I'll manage, you know, somehow, you know me. Um, but actually, I didn't know what hit me until it happened. So, yeah. you know, you can be the most able, confident uh, individual, but when something like this happens, it really changes your world by 360 degrees. Mm. And you just have to go with the flow and be kind to yourself. Yeah. Because... It's huge, and, and it's not something you can underplay. I know sometimes people don't know what to say to you. Yeah. So they will either ignore the fact that you're grieving, mm -hmm. or they will come out with something so insensitive that yeah. you almost want to sort of just say, okay, I'm not sure that I can even connect with you. Yeah, yeah. Did you find that you had... Were there, you know, have, have there been certain people and still remain to be certain people that have, you know, have offered you the support that you needed right from the beginning or um you know are, are are these i suppose what i'm getting at is i i keep saying this expression recently around you know and this is about depression i'm talking about but um that it's not um it's not a, a one-person fight you know it's not like a something you just do on your own it's actually a team effort so have you found similarities with with bereavement i think once you start kind of give yourself permission to grieve, you will find the right kind of people will walk into your life mm. 
Um, so surprisingly, the people that you think who ought to understand may not. Right. And it's not their fault. It's because they haven't been on a similar yeah. journey. So, mm-hmm. and, and also, uh, many people lose uh, a close one, but they may not have that kind of relationship with them. So the more you love somebody, the deeper you're going to grieve. Yeah. Um, so in terms of um, the right kind of people, I think, yes, you do come across them. And I found even perfect strangers who'd been on a similar journey may just say one or two words and you made a connection and they lifted you. Mm. Um, and, and somebody who knew you because they knew you as the confident person who was always strong suddenly didn't know how to cope with you when you cried at the drop of the hat. Yeah, absolutely. And then they just thought, you've changed. You, you always used to be strong, but actually you're still strong because you you're, you're, you're dealing with this. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it, it's inter- like I do think that people are quite often part of the solution. You know, that it, it is like about seeking some help from people like you say even if it's unexpected sources you know but but kind of whilst you need whilst it's beneficial or can be beneficial to have that kind of reflective time on your own um to not kind of go and hide away on your own forever and you know to actually try and feel like you've just said it's actually a strength to Mm. build people around you it's a strength that you're dealing with this and going through this it's not you're not, it doesn't, in my mind, doesn't show weakness. Um, you know, and that demonstration of emotion is a strength. It's, uh, you know, that you're not bottling it up and you're not, like, trying to hide it away. Mm. So, you know, the, these things are, uh, are important, I think, for people to hear. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the, the blog then and how, how the blog's helped you? Sure. Um I started the blog uh, for personal selfish reasons, really, because I, I found myself that I was able to write and kind of express myself, uh, whereby I felt like I was still maintaining a connection with my father. Um, I started to read a lot. So one of the things that I did after my father passed away was I rejoined the library and I hadn't been reading as much when you were working full time Mm -hmm. you don't have well that was my excuse I wasn't reading Um, and I would go and borrow about 20 odd books and bring them home and kind of dip into books I I found some books helpful because I read um, C.S. Lewis's book A Grief Observed which he wrote after the the death of his wife now on slightly different but some of it kind of hit home to me but I couldn't find anything uh, about a daughter or a son grieving the death of their father. And that's why I started my, my blog, thinking that if I wrote, it would help me to process my own feelings, but it would also give hope to others out there, mm. thinking, A, you're not on your own. B, you're not going mad. Yeah. <laughs> and, and C, you will survive. You will find the inner strength, and, the, and you will be supported by lots of people around you, you yeah. just have to let them in. Mm-hmm. And and it's quite an empowering um, journey in the sense of I found a lot of people who've read it have come back to me saying, actually, that helped me. Yeah. Um, or, it, you, I mean, I, th- I think you're an amazing person. I, like, having read it, I actually think it's really interesting the change in the way, in the way you write through the uh, from the early ones through to the mo- the most recent ones and it's like it, it, there's a demonstration there 
of of your kind of growth and your development as a, as an individual and the way that you're kind of putting it across now there's there's like um I don't know how to say this there's uh there's like a pride in there I think um and maybe that comes through from from your father kind of thing and that you'd know how he would feel about it I don't know I'm you know I'm I'm guessing at that but um you're you put there are kind of these anecdotal things in there that are really kind of it makes it quite easy to read for such a difficult subject I think so you said something in one I read recently about um you still find yourself um if you break sharply in the car that you put your hand out yeah. like it's acro- across where your dad would be sitting in the passenger yeah. seat yes and I, I don't know I just it just makes it so kind of like it, it's personal but it's kind of it's a really lovely way that you've written it so I, I recommend anyone to to read it and I'm sure that uh, a lot of people would get a lot out of it um the last thing that I wanted to talk to you about because we're nearly out of time um is actually in terms of going on and, you know, progressing in your own life, you wrote something at the end of... It's, you actually only released this just before Christmas, didn't you? The last, yes, um, yeah. the last mm-hmm. blog. Mm-hmm. And you said, um, we find the courage to rise and rise, and this is the best tribute we can give to the person we love and lost. And I just I loved that, so I had to write a road down. Oh, because yeah. actually... I think that, to me, you know, that was a really powerful thing to think, that actually you you get to the point where you're struggling and thinking, I can't go on with this. Mm-hmm. And actually, but you use the strength of knowing that the person that you love and have lost, what they would want you to do, use that as a kind of powerful tool as to how, as to kind of carry on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, what we have is... We've been incredibly blessed to have had that relationship, to have that love, and we have to use that in a positive way. Hope is all we have, and I found this journey incredibly hard, yet powerful Hmm. and enlightening, because I've kind of, I found myself a little in the process, and I've managed to do things that I never thought I was capable of. Um, So I I remember in the early days, I lost focus to the point where I thought, well, I was totally off track and and a family friend suggested, why don't you do the Leeds 10K? Mm -hmm. Now, I hadn't done any running in 30-odd years, so I started running, and yes, I did the Leeds 10K, and since then I've done the Great North Run last year. Amazing. I did the London Marathon on what would have been my father's 100th birthday. Wow. But you have to give yourself the hope. And each time you achieve a milestone, it's a tribute that you can give to your loved one. Mm -hmm. Because they're still there with you. Love is eternal. It's it's there forever. It doesn't die just because the body's gone. And, I mean, I'm one of those people that would never have had a tattoo, but I've got a tattoo on my hand now. <laughs> and I did that on my father's, on father's Day, in fact. Amazing. And, and I'm incredibly proud of that because it's almost like saying, I want to live now. 
yeah. and live life to the full for myself and on behalf of my father because that's what he would want me to what do. What a tribute that is. That's yeah. the best tribute you can pay, isn't it? Indeed. Um, thank you so much for coming in and uh, into the studio and talking about it. Um, it's been, uh, yeah, a revolution to me. I, I do, yeah, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Um, thank you guys out there for listening. Please... Um, Follow me on Twitter at Mental Comms or on um, Facebook and Instagram. And please go on to um, iTunes and rate the podcast so that um, more people end up listening to it. Um, thanks ever so much, Daxa. Thank you very much as well. Thanks, guys.